Hello and welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups where we unpack the numbers and nuance behind the headlines. I'm Natasha Mascarenas and this is our Wednesday show where we niche down to a single topic, think about a question and unpack the rest. Today we're asking, what is the state of early stage founders in a changing market? Dollars and deals may exist, but is activation energy staying as high as it was before? As always, I am joined by Alex Wilhelm, my inimitable co-host and the editor-in-chief of TechCrunch Plus. Alex, hello. Hey, I'm excited about this. This is, for reasons that we shall soon explain, going to be the highest nicotine episode ever in the history (laughs) of equity. Oh my God. Amazing music to my ears. I didn't even expect that. Um, As Alex alluded, it's not just team equity on here today. As you all may know, TechCrunch has been growing its podcast universe really with more shows. And and one of those shows is Found. It's about 70 shows in. It's all about the founder journey and I'm obsessed with it. And Alex, we have two of the co-hosts, I guess the only co-hosts on the show today. (laughs) We have 100% of the current Found hosting lineup. And because they haven't had any swap outs, literally we have the OG founding crew. So Jordan Crooks, say hello. What's up, party people? That's Jordan's voice if you haven't heard it yet. And then we also have Daryl. How are you doing, Daryl? Great. Just so great. I love that intro. But you know, we've done more than 70, really, technically. (laughs) It's it's actually 71. 70 plus. It's not about (laughs) 70. And technically, we've actually recorded a lot more than are published. So... (laughs) I think nearly 100 would be the best way to say it. My toxic trait is issuing corrections when they're unneeded. Wow. Do you work in PR? (laughs) I actually work with reporters. (laughs) All right. So getting us back on topic, Natasha, why are we all gathered today to talk about the early stage and the founder question? Well, Jordan and Daryl, you both spend every week interviewing founders, I guess more than once a week. I would love to hear what Found is all about. And then I think that'll give us a good context for this show since it's all about like the temperature check of people deciding to do things. Yeah, sure. So Found is about the stories behind the startups is how we say it on the, you know, at the start to make it digestible for people. But basically we just interview founders and they tell us why they created the company they created, what prompted them to get into entrepreneurship to begin with, what challenges they've faced in the process of growing their business, how they act as a leader and what they think is important in that skill set, and a bunch of other questions besides that. I mean, we often usually diverge pretty dramatically from that central path Mm -hmm. to some tangents that have nothing to do with any of that. But all that stuff does get covered as well, so... It's definitely the best part of the show is all the different diversions you end up in. But I love that the show has been more than a year old and you've kind of covered founders during like the highest heights of this pandemic boom to now the downturn. And so Jordan, I guess like to start us off, I would love like a temperature check on how your conversations have really changed with founders this August compared to last August. Yeah. So early stage founders are a particular breed. They don't tend to get very pessimistic, Mm. which is what allows them to quit their full-time job or whatever and believe in themselves with enough conviction to go and start a brand new company. So I would say attitude-wise, things haven't changed that much. And I don't think that there's like really a huge shortage of capital. We're definitely seeing like hesitancy from VCs, but at the end of the day, they have to deploy their funds, right? So like there is capital to be had there. I think maybe what we're seeing is a little bit more out of the box thinking from founders, though, in terms of like their willingness to be flexible and pivot, their willingness to focus on profitability more early. And if you think about the last few downturns we've had, the few months after the pandemic, and then also like 2008, 2009, it's when some of the most resilient companies have been built in a lot of ways. I'm super amped on this cohort of founders that's kind of like getting out there right now. 
I think one other thing that I'll just say that has changed maybe mentality wise, and I don't think this has to necessarily do with the downturn, but I've noticed it in the last like 12 to 24 months. And Daryl and I talk about it a lot is like, there's a new cohort of founders that's thinking really long-term about how their platforms and tools can be used by people Mm -hmm. like in the bad ways, which Mm -hmm. I don't think was the case when we first started up. Yeah. We have had a few conversations which sounded, because, you know, we've been doing this a long time, not to the podcast, but talking to founders, right? And we've had a few conversations that sounded like Uber era founding, like that kind of bravado. Very bro-y. Yes. And like, like, oh, we're just doing it. We're just doing it, dude. We're crushing it. And That was too easy for you, Dale. (laughs) Well, that's how much we've been exposed to it. (laughs) What I'm doing now is a practiced... Like, this is a put-on personality that I have for the show, but my natural <laughs> inclination. His natural is state is actually very broy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is the biggest lie we've ever told on this show. <laughs> <laughs> but much more what we see now, yeah, is people who are like, we are considering the impact and we're thinking very much about like, if this is a success at the scale that we want it to be a success, what will that mean for the world? And how do we build in things and guardrails and, you know, that you can't anticipate everything, but it's very, very different from, you know, for instance, what Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg set out oh, to do. Oh, Zuckerberg, right? let's call him that. Zuckerberg. Let's not Zuckerberg. call him Zuckerberg. I feel like that someone's going to scream think, at us for that. I think we can me. draw a cute drawing of that and then everyone will appreciate it and be like okay well it's good now. yeah it's almost a little <laughs> bit more endearing than like robot zuck <laughs> but yeah like it does feel like it was the lowest hanging fruit back in the day when a founder was like i'm gonna f-ing change the world and then you were like yeah but what if like they use it like this and they were but like what if Whoa. you change the world yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah what if you actually do it and they were like panicked and now you have the same thing and you ask the question they're like yeah yeah we've been thinking about that a lot and like here's how we're working around it and here's how we're working against it so it's pretty yeah. special i guess i've always thought a little bit about who are the kinds of people obviously that can be so wild about these pitches and kind of talk their book to a point where they get those first vc dollars and it really to me does clash a little bit with what we're hearing vcs now now want to prioritize, which is being profit focused, disciplined, mm-hmm. and just focus, focus, focus versus like, let's shoot for the moon. I mean, I had a story idea for a while, which I didn't write yet, but it was kind of this idea of like the non moon shots. It's their time to shine right now for right. investors. And so that's what I feel like the clash. And I, I actually wrote the column this past weekend for Sharps Weekly was kind of about this idea of like founders aren't pitching right now to at least venture investors because they aren't really ready to sound or look like the outlier. And they want to kind of be more in their own world, which definitely simplification. But that was the idea I've been thinking about. Natasha, can you break down some of the context about how you got to that point and and who you were talking to that led to that particular piece? I think the sourcing here is useful. Yeah, well, it really started with, I was talking to Sahil Lavingia. He is the founder of Gumroad, which helps creators monetize their things and also was one of the first people of the Rolling Fund, which I think really encompasses the height of the everyone's an angel investor boom that happened in 2021 or 2020 at this point. So he was just chatting and he was like, I'm kind of stressed about this founder downturn. My deal flow has dropped 90% compared Hmm. to March. And I think he's one of the most well-connected people I would know, at least with early stage startups. So that started, and then I kind of asked a bunch of other people and VCs are not agreeing for what it's worth on whether deal flow is slowing or not, or even really whether the founder downturn is happening or not. Yeah, Yeah, I think that a lot of that depends on like where you're looking and what you're looking for. So the thing that you're talking about with like, yes, people preferring maybe more founders with solid fundamentals in their businesses is definitely something we see or have seen reflected in our conversations with founders. But 
we're already a little biased on that because the founders we tend to talk to are already more of that ilk to begin with. Mm, that's a good point. The mix overall, Jordan, I don't know if you agree with this, but for me, I find that the people we talk to, we try to source from not traditional Silicon Valley backed startups as much as possible, right? Like, because we yeah. just want a good sampling of the overall picture. A lot of those folks are building solid business fundamentals in by design from the very beginning. And so they seem excited because now VCs are looking for that, right? And they don't have to do the like fake thing where the VCs like, yeah, but why not just burn it all on growth and then come back and be like, we got so much growth. It's great. And then later we'll make money. They're like, Oh, yeah, well, wait a minute. But it's also affected people the opposite, too. Like, we had a conversation with founders who were like, you go into rooms now, and the same people who five months ago were like, well, this idea isn't big enough for me, are now like, where's your revenue profitability? And you're like, what the hell? Like, what happened? The whiplash. This is such a strange thing to hear in the early stage startup market, because when we think about early stage companies, and we think about the use of venture capital, they're supposed to be building in anticipation of future revenues. They're supposed to be building product and growth. And the reason they raise expensive equity capital is so they can go faster ahead of their revenue growth, aka being unprofitable. And so to me, the whole like profitability thing makes a lot more sense, like series B plus. And -hmm. here we are talking about the earlier stages and how venture dynamics play out. Like it feels like the dissonance here between expecting like a move towards profitability while raising venture capital is underexplored. Yeah, that's a good point. I was just talking to Helena, the founder and CEO of House yesterday about Mm -hmm. the company's choice to sell after its Series A fell through. I guess it wasn't really their choice, but they had to, they're having to sell basically. And I asked her a question that I knew was a little too simple, which was, they said that they've hit 10 million in revenue this year. And I was like, why not just use your cash flow to operate the business? Like, why did you have to go the Series A round? Couldn't you have spent a little less and done that instead? Especially if you're hitting this threshold that a lot of like indie DTC brands are looking to hit. And she was like, if I was going to do that, which I would have loved to, I would have had to make the decision a year ago. Mm. And to me, I guess like another thing that's unexplored to your point, Alex, is like the timeline in which founders need to make this decision. The downturn, we're seeing fast reactions with layoffs, but a lot of them have capitalized with an entirely different landscape in mind. And so it's really hard to be like, now let me stop overspending because overspending was how my business was going to reach the milestones that I promised. I mean, it just becomes this tricky loop, which again goes back to who's going to become a founder these days. Yeah, I think like the ABC level there definitely has to be some sort of focus on profitability. And you're right, Natasha, that that like timeline of when you make certain decisions on like how to use your revenue makes a difference. But I do think like at the pre-seed seed stage where we're talking to a lot of people, mm-hmm. I want to be clear that I don't think VCs are looking for profits. Right. I think they're looking for traction, which might not even equal revenue at this point. But like nine times out of 10, the bet is on the person. So I actually think like the asset that founders may have going and seeking venture capital. And that's if they want to, because I think a lot of them are like, I don't want to be in the growth hamster wheel right now. I like, I'm going to put my head down and build. But if they want to, then what is benefiting them is like any sort of track record, right? Yeah. Either like industry experience, which I think like maybe is outweighed by just starting a company and having run it successfully in the past. Yeah. But that proves that you're like able to weather a storm and can put together unit economics and understand some of the pitfalls that maybe a first time founder would come into because the bet has to be on the person that early. 
Yeah. I wonder, Natasha, if the founder downturn that Sahil was talking about is what Jordan's actually describing, which is founders saying, I don't want to be on the growth hamster wheel right now because growth is not being valued the way it was. So why would I build my business targeted at a decreased incentive? Like there's just less incentive to grow right now and a more incentive to grow in a more traditional sense, right? With profits yeah. and so forth. And so I wonder if actually VC is less in vogue versus the founder drought per se. And, you know, people that have capital are just less... <laughs> I don't know, the cool kid at school, for lack of a better phrase. That's spicy. I agree. I mean, as I'm hearing this, I'm kind of like, there's definitely a difference between a drop in deal flow and a drop in founders. Mm -hmm. Like you can still have a lot of founders, but they might not be as interested in venture capital, which if we think about like YC, for example, like YC said it got record applications this batch, but they chose to have a smaller amount. So I don't know. I feel like, again, no one agrees. It's just like this confusing area. Jordan, you were going to say something. It's like hard data, right? Like you can't, there are a lot of founders that operate incognito and maybe haven't quit their job that are still plant. you right. Like we don't have data that, or we can look at like a founder shortage necessarily. It's just a vibe people get. I would say both are probably true. It would be silly to think that founders are only people who come from existing pool of wealth where they can like take right. a leap off of a cliff and hope for the best during an economic downturn. There are still people who are willing to do that, but there probably is like some downturn in the entrepreneurship and probably also a lot less kind of interest in jumping on the VC bandwagon right now. Yeah. Yeah. And we've talked to people too who are opting for even debt instead of VC, right? Like they're just like, this makes more sense for us at this point. So I do think absolutely it's just, it's a matter of like, the whole thing changes, the identity changes. And Jordan is absolutely right too. Like people will not go all in. But they'll yeah. just like reserve for a year or two, still continue working their Google job or whatever and doing it at uh. night or, you know, wherever else they are. That happens so often. That comes up all the time, too. People at Google and they're like, oh, yeah. And then we decided to go all in. Right. I think it's Google most of the time, Jordan. But all it's kinds of Google sometimes. But well, there's a lot of like Google Xers. But I think yeah. there's also a lot of people who are like doing retail business development at Old Navy or yeah, whatever. For sure. And yeah. like decide like they've been working on some point of sale product for however long and then make the choice when it, when the time's right. It's just right now is like, is the time right? I think a lot of people are asking that question without yeah. like a clear answer. Yeah. One is Old Navy still around? I don't actually know. It I is. just bought Absolutely. amazing PJs from Old Navy, guys. $10, soft pants. Old Navy's totally around. I think oh. I was dressed in Old Navy for my entire childhood. Like the whole thing. Gap and Old my Navy. My shorts are from Old Navy. Nice. There uh, we go. All right. Okay. It's a data point for me on retail. Still around. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> I wonder if the thing we hear about LPs, which is that when the stock market goes down, they have less capital in general. So they're less likely to want to invest in new funds or like have capital calls. I wonder if that actually applies to founders as well, a more limited wealth pool. But if you had a million dollars in stocks and then the stock market goes down a lot, you have less money, you're probably less risk tolerant. Right. And so there's probably a similar sort of dynamic going there that could, to Daryl's point, impact the overall founder pool. Yeah. It's odd to think that like LPs become more risk averse in this situation. Like it makes sense mathematically that like, your wealth pool goes down, so you're less likely to like throw five million, ten million, whatever at this or that fund. Yeah. But also, like it would feel like the time, and because you're a whale, you have the agility to do that, as opposed to right. Like right. I, you're one of the I, few I, people I who actually does have exactly who can do right. that and has the kind of flexibility to throw your weight around at a time when everyone else would feel more risk averse. Like you can collect a lot of leverage and power in that moment, but. <laughs> Alex's comment. Just some tips out there. <laughs> Whales can be agile, by the way. Have you heard of an orca? My favorite animal? Your favorite Tell animal orca. is an orca? I can turn on a dime, orcas. 
Yeah. Oh, I don't God. believe you. They're huge. <laughs> I've seen Free Willy. Female orcas are some of the most agile creatures on the planet. How are we defining agile, though? <laughs> Turning radius. <laughs> yeah, it's like a Jeep Wrangler yeah. of the sea. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I, I was going to go somewhere with that. But Sorry. Lost my check. Sorry. Oh, I didn't mean no, you're I chatted it to avoid derailing the conversation. You can't do that. that you can't point. do that with us. We don't do chats during our podcast. We no, just say the stuff the on table. our mind. Yeah, everything's out there. Throw the script out. <laughs> um I was going to ask about activation energy and the idea that it takes a different kind of founder to start a company during this environment. So basically like a lot of the VCs I talk to who are positive about the downturn are saying, actually, if a lot of founders reduce pitching us, the ones that do are going to have this amazing signal where they are building despite all the odds being against them. And I'm trying to understand how much I should be believing that sentiment. Should every founder that's building right now have a huge asterisk next to their name as being the ones that are doing it despite all the odds? Or like, should we be kind of dividing this up? Is it more nuanced than, wow, you're so amazing? I think it's more nuanced than that. Yeah, yeah I but I do think it's signal. Like it, it is signal and I would interpret it as such, right? Like even on our show when we chat with people and we're like, and you decided to start this when? You know, like it'll be, oh, and then we started this right in the middle of COVID and we're like, brave. You can't help yeah. but think it. And I feel like that's also true of VCs and definitely nuanced in that you then have to suss it out. Like you have to make the additional distinction of like, are you stupid or are you super intelligent and capitalizing on a great opportunity? Exactly. And that's actually the perfect segue into like the kinds of founders right now, because I think before it didn't matter what kind of founder you were, if you had a good idea and showed drive. In my story, I talked about three buckets of founders. The one, the tourist founders that only start companies during bull markets, the immigrant founders that care about starting a company, but do really weigh risk and return. And then the born and raised founders that really don't give a crap and will start a company regardless of background. On Found, I'm guessing you're interviewing all three of sorts. I don't know if anyone would ever admit that they're Taurus, though. Like, do you uh, run to <laughs> No one really wants to admit to that. But I also no. think that we try to stay away from that if we can suss it out. I think that... I think we've had a few tours. How do you suss it out? Like... <laughs> How do you suss it out? Well, yeah. Okay. So when we invite them to the podcast, if we haven't talked to them beforehand, then it's impossible to suss it out. Yeah. Like you can't yeah. tell from the company or whatever. But I think that you can tell in conversation. If I'm reading tourist founder correctly, like your description of it, mm-hmm. like to me, that's like, I want to be a founder for founder's sake because I see all these other people being successful starting a company. And so because everything's frothy right now, I can do almost anything and get away with it. Like, I just want to be a founder and CEO and like own my own business. And like, I think you can tell that from conversation, maybe not everyone, but I feel like I have a very strong sense for that. And it, I'm very versed to it, generally speaking, Mm -hmm. because it just doesn't, I almost feel like most successful companies start not from that will, but from like a, an obsession with a problem and I don't feel like tourist founders are very obsessed with a problem. Absolutely not. They like find a problem and they're excited yeah. that they found one and then they want to mm-hmm. go solve it. Yeah. And usually also, I mean, the other signals, if you're just, this is like pre-speaking to anyone at all, is like the pitches that come in. If it's a pitch of another crypto company in the middle of the hot crypto summer, which is now long dead, right? Like <laughs> you're you're looking at that side-eyed and you're like, oh, wait a minute. Like that is a pretty good signal that this is maybe a tourist, right? And it's like serial entrepreneur so-and-so. His previous company was, he had a milk company and then he had a skateboard company. Like when milk was hot and then when skateboards (laughs) were hot. I don't know. Those are terrible examples. Now he's minting milk and skateboards as (laughs) NFTs as a layer three project or something. And you're like, what the Everyone's laughing, but there was boosted boards, which we, right. we had in the TechCrunch oh. office. And there have been milk-based startups, I think, in doing alt milk. So, like, Daryl <laughs> jokes, but 
the reality real. of the world is no, the real joke. No, there's a startup for everything and there's tech <laughs> for everything now and it's bizarre. But like of the founder kind of personas that we have on our show on Found, I do think that there's truth to the idea that there's a stronger signal coming through and naturally you give someone a little bit more credit and a little bit more benefit of the doubt when they do something that's harder than when they do something that's easier, right? Yeah. So like that's natural. I think that it's definitely more nuanced than that. I was having a conversation with a VC who was talking about a deal that he wants. And basically this founder is like buddies with a big, big name founder and has a lot of money because they, he invested in the big founders seed round and is chilling and like could take it or leave it with yeah. the funding. And I think like that pitch is probably great. And yeah, he's starting it during a hard time, but like, do we give that the same level of credit if like he could just take it or leave it and be chilling? I don't know. Ooh, that's real. It's kind of like the idea that every bootstrap company isn't a grassroots. Roots, hardworking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of them are like, I just happen to be rich and yeah. now I can self-fund <laughs> yeah. until someone comes knocking on my door, which was kind of blew my mind, honestly, because I think bootstrapping as a name gives you so much of a, like, No, it gives wow. you this vibe of like, yeah. wow, you pulled yourself up from nothing. And like, they could have family wealth. They could have like worked really hard for existing wealth. That's not like outside of the realm. They could have like cashed out or won big or whatever. Right. But, you know, it's silly to think of anything in this ecosystem right now during this economic downturn. VC is super fragmented. There are more funds than ever. There are more individual funds than ever, not necessarily more funding than ever. There's lots of capital. There's like new categories of startups with crypto and all of these things. It's silly to think that there's not like a ton of nuance in each individual scenario, basically. Yeah, Yeah. it's real. Mm -hmm. I think it's also important to keep in mind how much money there still is in the market because oftentimes I feel like we talk about like the venture downturn or the startup slowdown or whatever, but we're going to probably crush 2020's venture capital totals this year. So the only Mm -hmm. year we're going to be behind actually is 2021, which was the absolute peak of the last cycle. So- I mean, things are slowing down, but they're still going pretty damn fast. So when we think about this stuff, that's my vibe. I struggle to be like terrified for founders right now, but trying Mm -hmm. to raise capital because there's still so much more than there was two, three years ago. And venture was fine two or three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And also I alluded to this earlier, but like the funds that are being deployed right now were sought and received years ago, you know, up to eight years ago, sometimes a year ago, two years ago. And like have to be deployed and have to be deployed somewhat timely. So like there's room for a VC to be like, hey, we're going to chill a little bit. We'll only do a couple deals. But like there's something about portfolio construction and signal boosting and kind of like category tracking that has to be done at VCs no matter what eventually. So they can only hold off for so long until they have to write a check, even if it's a check just to be like, I want to keep track of this category. Right. It's not like it's new money in, new money out constantly on a rolling basis. No, and the ones that really stand to benefit the most are not legacy companies, like not existing startups looking to scale, because that's the whole problem to begin that's with. That's the hard part. Because they had valuations that were out of touch with reality even more so than usual, right? And so the companies that stand to make the most are the early stage companies, because the funds need to be deployed, to Jordan's point, and they're going to go into companies that don't yet have astronomical, ridiculous valuations. I mean, I think things are still expensive, though. I don't, like, the valuations aren't astronomical and, like, laughable, but, like, I think rounds are still pretty expensive for VCs, which I think might be part of the hesitancy. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, yeah, there's a little bit of manifesting happening with VCs just saying that prices are dropping because at some point a founder will believe it and then they will ask for a lower valuation or, or be okay with a lower valuation, which is funny. But I kind of want to end on the idea of like, what are levers we can pull to get more? I guess not us, not us for her. What are levers tech can pull? Us and the whales. <laughs> So um, agile. I don't want to be an orca. I want to be like a blue whale. Are blue whales bigger? They are. Blue whales are bigger, but they can't do shit, bro. Less agile. Yeah, way less agile. I can't believe this is doing a whale show. Bro, I'm not going to agile. I'm just going to go straight and ram the orca and sink that motherfucker. No, you couldn't catch an orca if you tried. The orca is gone. Oh, that would be a fight for the ages. I'm going to open my baleen mouth. And just gulp that thing down. You and can't. You tough. couldn't. Whale guys. This is Whale, important. we're at it. Whale guys. <laughs> Let's stay focused. <laughs> Natasha, please wrap us up. We, we're lost. Whale. I, I tried making the transition like six times. It's no longer I know, funny. But this one, it's, it's kind of funny. Okay. Well, I wanted to end with different ways that we'll see investors try and get more founders out there. Because I agree with all of you where it's like this really good time. But I just have to say, if I was laid off from a tech company right now, I don't think my first instinct as well as someone who had to shut down their company, such as Helena's first instinct is, let me jump back into entrepreneurship, even though I exhibit all these qualities of grit, intelligence, blah, blah, blah. So like, are there ways that people can be activated that didn't exist in 2021 or didn't have to exist? And I'll go first because I asked the question mostly so I could answer it. (laughs) (laughs) I have a thoughtful answer to my own question. I think VCs should do a better job in providing low risk ways for people to try entrepreneurship. We saw some examples of it, like join this community while you're the star PM at your company, which is fine. But I would love to see more things like Z Fellows, which offers like 10K to leave your job for a week and try an idea. I just, I like the idea of someone having a security blanket, but still being able to do something that requires a lot of quote risk and quote luck, which feels like a lot like early stage startups. What do y'all think? Well, I think that's right. It's great if you can decrease risk. I don't know like what the capital structure or like plan is for when that does work out for that person for 10K and like what the equity structure, I don't know about that. That feels like a little acceleratory where you're like giving up too much equity for too small a check or whatever. However, I do think that it's incumbent. If VCs really do want more entrepreneurs out there, a few things have to happen. First 10K is free. No equity on that. Just idea based. Maybe. Yeah. Why not? Come on. But also, no, 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 that's fine. I just don't think that their whole business model (laughs) is to get the equity. So like, I don't know. (laughs) But like, there are like perks and other things that VCs can do when they fund a company. I think a lot of VCs have been skating by on like a low code, no code notion doc that will help you be a better founder or whatever, like curriculum or whatever. Yeah. That like, you actually have to provide something, whether it's like office space. A lot of VCs give away office space. Maybe that can be done better, whether it's like the actual curriculum they provide or their willingness to be on the phone and actually help through problems rather than just introing you to this or that other person to solve it. But like getting your hands dirty and making a making a name for yourself and making sure that your founders and your portfolio companies feel like you are going to be there for them and help them through this, I think is a big piece of it. I don't think it can be understated. And I think a lot of VCs have been skating by on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't have any specific ideas beyond. I think the ones that you mentioned are good. I think it's kind of just like, you know, just make sure that the environment is ready and welcoming. Right. And like that's going to be part of what you were talking about. And it's also going to be 
a willingness to look beyond pattern matching, which is all consistently a problem and seems to be more of a problem in tough times, as we've seen from the numbers over the past few years. Like people mm-hmm. seem, VCs in general seem to revert to type when it comes to pattern matching and fall into all their old bad habits instead of looking to new types of entrepreneurs and more diverse founder populations to like find new things. Right. So I think that's got to be a real part of it is like really put your money where your mouth is there and start actually making the numbers reflect a lot of those statements because that's going to help immensely. Another thing people could do would be to find people who are interested in starting a company but may not have made the jump yet and then bring them into their venture portfolio and then rotate them through portfolio companies, maybe like a couple of weeks each company for a couple of months, get them a ton of exposure and knowledge and then fund them at a very early stage and see how they do. I think we could probably just help founders get off the ground more. We expect them to go from as Steele said, zero to one on the, on their own. And that's probably going to be a higher boundary for certain people in certain socioeconomic positions and so forth. So if you could find a way to de-risk that and jumpstart it, you could, in fact, build more of a founder pool that you wanted. And I think that would be a really smart way to go about it. It would take work, but one thing that work mm-hmm. requires is money. And one thing that VCs have raised more of this year than pretty much any other year is f***ing capital. So they can do whatever they want. And if they're not doing these things, it's because they don't want to. I think also, like, if we're talking about the long game, not like immediately I need a bunch of founders, but like the long game for founders is for a lot of these growth stage VCs to really get some of these growth stage companies over the hump to their exit because (laughs) we've consistently found that like the greatest number of founders often come from the big exited startup Mm -hmm. that they decide, oh, I could build alongside this. I have the network. I know what I'm doing. I'm confident. And they tend to get funded really well, too. As the economic downturn kind of like hits those companies hard, being valuable and, you know, betting with them and helping them get to that next stage of exit, I think is going to be critical because that's where that waterfall, that overflow of entrepreneurs kind of historically comes from, particularly in like non-Silicon Valley like in other hubs, because then they're more willing to jump off and go do something else rather than like leave to go to another late stage company, but to build the hubs. Mm. So to summarize Jordan's comment, if uh, unicorns would get off their ass and go public, we would have more founders and we'd have more fun and we'd have more episodes of found. So if you want more episodes of found, Mm -hmm. go public already. We're waiting. (laughs) Yeah, we're all out of gas. There's no more founders. There's none of them. That's the takeaway, folks. We're low on founder deal flow. (laughs) Your inbox is going to be ruined. Um, Thank you both so much for joining. Equity, this was a blast. Where should people find found? Find found. Find it on your podcast platform of choice. You know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. On the site, we always do a post if you want to go sample it there and listen on TechCrunch. We have some exciting episodes coming up. We have a fantastic guest we're really excited for. It's Jay Chandrasekhar, who is is a you know from Super Troopers fame director of many many different things like episodes of Arrested Development for instance and Ooh. Resident Alien I didn't even know this I think we're going to record it like right now and I don't we know. are yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh good 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 yeah and he he's created his own app and it's a competitor to Rotten Tomatoes and it is called Vouch Vault Vault Vouch Vault Vouch Vault Vouch Vault it's called <laughs> I knew Vouch that Vault. Much. Yeah, we're really excited to talk to him. So that'll be out soon on our feed. So go subscribe now. Okay. Yeah. And Found has a better Twitter handle than Equity, which breaks my heart to say they're at Found. Equity is at Equity Pod on Twitter. And Alex, you're the best. Thanks for doing this with me, as always. My job today was just to sit in the background and complain occasionally. So very easy one. But as always, I think you're to be the here. best, Daryl. Screw Alex. 
Well, well, thank you. I agree. Well, that's all for now, folks. Cool. Wow. See you on Monday. On Friday. Well, we'll see you on Friday. <laughs> wow. Stuck the landing hard. Why couldn't a blue whale eat an orca?